That band's amazing, huh? What do you think? Pretty amazing. Yeah. All right, so I'd like to pray, if we could, before we get started. Let's just offer a prayer to God, ask him to send his spirit to translate his words for us. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, that we might see wondrous things in your word this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when my kids were little, you know, two, four, six, and eight, we would play hide and seek at our house quite a bit. Um, but the thing is, they were a little afraid to hide on their own. You know, like they went on their own and hid, they got kind of scared in the dark closets and whatever. So what would happen is I would hide, and all four of them together would look for me. Okay, so I'd go hide in some place, I'd hear them counting downstairs, and I'd, get and try, I'd try to get a good spot so it would make it a little challenging, you know, to find me. I get in a really good spot, and I hide, and I hear them come tramping up the stairs, looking for me, and they look around for a few minutes, and then they would get this moment of panic, like maybe dad's left the building, right? He's, he's gone. And then my daughter, Lena, she would gather everyone together, and she's like, shh, shh, daddy, make a noise, daddy, make a noise. Now, I didn't want to give away my spot too quickly, so I would just kind of tap on the wall a little bit, you know, knock, 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 and they'd say, hear that, hear that? And they'd run down the hall to another room, and they'd be looking around, looking around, around, and then the panic would set back in again. They'd be like, oh, no, he must have left. We can't seem to find him. And then I hear my daughter again, guys, shh, daddy, make another noise. Make another noise, daddy. And then I'd kind of do the, the homing signal thing, and i go, boop, 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 and they'd come, and then they'd find me, and we're like, woo. Big celebration, we found him. Let's play again. It was awesome. Now, I gotta tell you something. Since that fateful day that was recorded in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve decided to kind of go their own way, do their own thing, I don't know, become like God, the human race has been playing a giant game of hide and seek with the Lord God. True? It's like he's hiding and we're looking for him. And sometimes it's easy to find them. Sometimes it's not so easy to find them. Sometimes it feels like we got to yell out, hey, daddy, could you just make a noise? And occasionally he makes a little noise and he kind of gets our attention. And then sometimes we lose our way and we have to ask again, hey, daddy, could you make another noise? And this kind of keeps going, this game back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, game of hide and seek. Now, it's interesting, the Bible talks a lot about seeking God. You've already seen some verses this morning. Here's a couple others. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 29 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah 29 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then in the Psalms, David wrote, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go and meet with my God? Now, today we're in this very familiar story. We've probably read it, I don't know, lots of times in our lives, the wise men story, right? And this morning, I want to tell you that I think there's three different kinds of seekers in this story, three different kinds of seekers after God that we meet, okay? The star of this show is the wise men, or better translation is the magi. These are actually ancient magicians, sorcerers from an eastern country who spend their time looking at the stars and trying to discern spiritual signs in the air. So the reason they see the stars is because they actually kind of look for these things, right? This word is actually quite an ancient word. These guys have been around for hundreds of years before they come to meet Jesus at his house there in Bethlehem. 
They were established by the Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians. They're known as teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams. They were the learned men of the ancient world, the mystics, if you will. So these guys were always seeking some kind of spiritual science, something deeper below the surface of life. They were always looking for things that couldn't be seen on the surface. They always believed there was something else going on. They're beyond smart. They're elevated in their ancient world because of their spiritual intuition, their ability to see and interpret and kind of look deeper into life. I would say they even served like a priestly function back in these times. Now, they were priests, not of the God that we necessarily worship, but they were priests of some kind of God, and they were seeking after some kind of spiritual insight or intuition, right? Some kind of connection with a God of some sort. Now, the word magi gets kind of corrupted into magician, sorcerer, diviner. They're kind of occultic in nature. And back then, there wasn't a lot of separation between science and superstition. Science was astronomy. Superstition was astrology. You understand, right? Now, if you, if you don't know this, but back in Bible times, these wise men appear multiple times in the Old Testament. Okay, in the story of Esther, when the queen won't go see her husband and she gets in big trouble, look what the king does. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. So these guys were right near the king because of their spiritual insight. The kings always wanted to connect with them, understand what they had to say about what was going on, and take their advice. Okay, In the book of Daniel, after Daniel is kind of uh, around the scene, Nebuchadnezzar has some encounters with Daniel where he interprets his dreams. Nebuchadnezzar's son actually has the golden chalices, chalices from the temple in Jerusalem brought to him to drink from them. As he starts to drink from these golden chalices from the temple in Jerusalem, a hand begins to write on the wall. Immediately he starts to freak out, and somebody suggests you should call for the wise men. Look what happens. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. So these wise men have been around for a long time. In fact, Daniel was the chief of the wise men. He was in charge of them. He was considered to be one who was, uh, had the spirit of the gods in him. This is it. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Now, you wonder why these wise men connected this star to this Messiah. Is it possible that Daniel, years before, had taught them about this prophecy, about this Messiah and this king who was to come? Had he possibly taught them? Now, these particular wise men were so high up in the kingdom that literally you couldn't be a king till you mastered the wisdom of the wise men and astrologers. And often these wise men would actually make kings, powerful men. The most important thing about them, though, they were spiritually curious. Now, they were people that tried to find the underlying things of life. So think about this. These guys, on a hunch, on a star that they see rise in the, in the sky, take a hundreds-of-mile journey 
with their whole entourage to go look for a king who might be out there somewhere. They make this amazing search. They take, go through all this trouble to get there. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, right? The length of their journey is really long. Look at Matthew chapter 2. It says that Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So they came to the house some two years after, right, Jesus was born. This is a lengthy journey, a painful journey to get there. And they have no idea what they're looking for. But they're seeking something that matches this sign that they've seen in the heavens. You know, there's a lot of people in our world who are just like the wise men. People that live in spiritual darkness. Somewhere inside, they know there's more, and they wish they could find it. But they're not quite sure where to look or how to get there. It reminds me, actually, of a caving experience I had in Colorado. So years ago, I would do this Colorado challenge trip with high school kids, and we'd go to the Cave of the Winds. Maybe you've been there. It's kind of like a cave in the mall. They've got lights there, electric lights that go on and off, and it's all cleaned up, and you walk through. For high school students, this is extremely boring, you understand, right? Some of you are people that, that sounds really like a cool caving trip to me. No, the high school kids are like, this is boring, what is this? So I check with the Cave of the Winds and find out they do a wild caving trip. Okay, it's the kind of caving trip where you go in and you have to throw your clothes out when you're done. Because you crawl through the mud. I mean, it's awesome. I, I went on this wild caving trip and I went into tunnels that my shoulders were touching, my chest was touching, my back. I crawl in one way, I turn over and see these glowing lights and then turn back over and crawl back out feet first to get out. You understand? Wild caving trip, right? So we get to this one spot in the cave and the cave guide says to us, look, give me all your flashlights. You see that hole in the wall? I want you to go in that hole without your flashlights. I want you to find your way to the other side. I'll be waiting for you. You'll see my light. When you see my light, crawl towards it. I'm like, okay, here we go. So we get inside this, this hole. Literally, it is so dark in this cave, you can't see your hand this close to your face, right? It doesn't work. So I'm in this hole, and I'm crawling along, and I'm feeling the ceiling, and I'm feeling the walls. And he put us far enough back so that we couldn't run into the person in front of us, right? So you're by yourself in the dark, searching for this way out. And all of a sudden, in the distance, you see the light of the guide. Oh, my goodness. When you see that light, you crawl toward it as fast as you can. I got to believe that these wise men were looking for something. They saw a light, right? They saw a star, and they were bent to crawl toward it as fast as they could to find out what was going on. And when they got there, they bowed and they worshiped. They found this light, they bowed and they worshiped. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they bowed and they worshiped. You know, I started a group at my house uh, about a month and a half ago, an Explore God group, something we're going to be working on as a church. And we've had some interesting conversations in my basement so far. There's four guys coming from my neighborhood who don't really understand who this God is that I know. And so we have conversations in my basement, and the last time we met, the question on the screen was, is there a God? So we watched the video, we talked about that question, I kind of said, you know, it seems like most of you guys already believe there's probably a God. So I have a better question. Have you ever met this God? Has he ever sent you a sign? Has he ever made a noise in your life? Immediately, one of the guys perked up. He said, yeah. 
I have a story about that. He told us this crazy story about being in college, being drunk through the night, smoking dope through the night, getting in his car at 6 in the morning, driving down 294 by Willow, Willow Road in the north suburbs and driving his car off the road at 70 miles per hour and being thrown from the car. Now, I've known this guy for probably 15 years. I'd never heard this story. Then he said, but I know that God saved my life because I was wearing this medal around my neck. He pulled the medal out of his shirt. There were two medallions on there. He said, there used to be three. The third one was Jesus on the cross. When I got thrown from the car, the Jesus on the cross one disappeared. Never seen it since. So God clearly saved my life and has a reason for me to be around. Oh, I love this. I love being with people that are seeking, that are looking for answers. It was awesome. What a great conversation just continued from there. We talked about this God and the fact that this God wants to know you. He wants to seek you. He wants to connect with you, right? So these Magi guys, they're everywhere in our world. Everywhere. And they're looking. They're reaching out. They're seeking. They're spiritually hungry for someone to show them the answer, to show them the way to the, to the king. Now there's a second set of seekers in the story. They're a little more disturbing. We'll check them out here. Next verse. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So these guys arrive on the scene. It's great. These seekers are they're running around Jerusalem. They're asking, where's this king? Because they assume these people, who they heard about this from, they, they assume these people must know. I mean, they're, they're the people that have the book. They're the people of the book, so they must know where the king is. So they're asking around. But instead of being excited about this, the people of Jerusalem are disturbed by this. Right? They're, they're freaked out by it. And it's interesting because Herod calls the chief priest, the law, the people that know all this stuff, they, they've memorized the book, and he asks them, where is he supposed to be born? Look at these next verse. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, I love this. These guys do not have to even go look for the verse. They know it by heart. They know the location of the king. They're five miles away from where the king is born. But they have zero interest and going to see the king. Zero interest in going to check this out. They can quote a chapter and verse. It's not like they have to say, hey, Herod, let's, let's go do some research first. We'll get back to you on this question. Boom, Micah comes right out of their mouths. It's unbelievable. So this kind of seeker, people that are immersed in the book, they've read all the stories, they know all the theology, they know all the answers, they've read the Bible through and through, they memorized it, but they've lost their hunger for actually being with the king. Now, does this sound familiar at all? Because sometimes churches like ours, we got a lot of answers. We're good theologians. We can quote chapter and verse on a lot of things. But are we still seeking this Jesus? Are we still seeking this king? I mean, the weird thing about people is when we get familiar with something, 
it's almost like we lose our passion and hunger for it. Like if I were to tell my kids today at 18, 19, 22, and 23, hey, we're going to play hide and seek this afternoon. Guys, it's going to be amazing. They're going to be like, what, Dad? Are you weird or what? What's going on? We're not playing hide and seek. We don't know how to find you now. It's no big deal. It would be no big deal, right? But sometimes we, as people that have been following Jesus for a long time, we just kind of get in our routine. We come to church. We do our devotions. We do our little service. We read our Bibles. But we really have not that much interest in going after the king. When's the last time you really went after the king? You really sought for him. You yelled out, Daddy, make a noise. I didn't know you're there. When's the last time you really connected with the king? So as I've talked about up here before, I get to go do camps with high school students. I love high school students because they're honest. <laughs> you adults are a little bit shady. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The high school kids, they just lay it right out there. So I was at this camp in November with a group of kids that I'd been with in the previous summer, we were kind of coming back to recharge our batteries and what we had experienced the previous months before. I expected this to be kind of a group of people that were really motivated, but what I found instead was it was a mixed group. Some kids had come because they still hadn't met this Jesus that we had talked about the previous summer. I remember this one girl specifically sitting in the back of the room looking very disinterested every time I spoke. It's really encouraging when you're speaking and someone's in the back just looking down, looking around, looking at their phone, you know, doing all this, talking to their friends. You know, it really, it really encourages the speaker to keep going. It's, it's awesome. So, so I'm up there thinking, you know, it's weird how you see those people. There was a bunch of kids listening to me, but that one girl just stood out in my mind the whole time. And I thought, man, what is going on with her? Then the Saturday night, I basically talked about this Jesus who calls your name once, like he called Lazarus' name once. And when you hear his voice, you answer because he wanna, wants to resurrect you from the dead. I said to these kids, I want to give you a chance to be resurrected from the dead if you haven't already experienced this. And I had some people up there to anoint these kids with oil who wanted to come forward. So there was about five of us in the front. And guess who the first one in my line was? <laughs> Boom, right in front of me. And she says to me, you know, I've been sitting in church my whole life. I'm not sure I've ever really met this Jesus you're talking about. I've kind of wondered what the point of church is if you don't ever get to meet the God who sort of is behind the church. I said, man, you are brilliant. You're brilliant. So we prayed together. She prayed with me. I anointed her head with oil. The next morning she told me, man, it's so awesome to have met this Jesus, to hear him call my name. It's awesome. So if you're sitting here going through the motions, you've been going through the motions for the last year or two years or three years, let's make 2019 the year that you actually really go after the king. Really seek him. He wants to be found by you. When I was playing hide and seek with my kids, I always wanted to be found by them. I didn't want to just stay in the dark closet for the rest of the day, right? I want them to find me. The king wants you to find him. Now, there's a third seeker in the story that's a little more disturbing of a seeker, but let's look at him. Matthew 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. You know why King Herod was disturbed? Because these magi were kingmakers. They made kings. And Herod was extremely paranoid. He had killed his wife. 
He had killed his children in order to maintain and keep his power as the king. So Herod knew this. If there was another king, he would not be able to be the king. There's going to be another king on the throne. He would not be able to actually continue to rule and be in control and power. So he was disturbed by this news, right? Now, I love this, actually, because, you know, I think a lot of us, when it comes to this Jesus that we seek, we kind of want to have him, but on our own terms, don't you think? It's crazy, but we're not kind of like, unlike Herod. We're kind of like him. It's like, yeah, I want Jesus as my little, like, I don't know, guy in the corner in case I need him, but, you know, the rest of the time, Jesus, I'm going to run the show if you don't mind. But like Herod, we have to realize you can't be the king and actually put the king on the throne. If you want this Jesus, he wants to kind of take over. He wants to be in charge. He wants you to follow him. I have a friend, uh, Charlie Davis is his name. He is a former head of team missions out in Wheaton. He lives, he's retired now. I meet with him probably every other week because I find him to be, uh, for me, spiritually enlivening to be with Charlie. Charlie loves Jesus and wants to put him on the throne of people's lives. So he constantly challenges me, are you putting Jesus on the throne or are you doing this? So Charlie's got these three questions he asks every time I sit down. He says this to me. First he says, so Klein, what's Jesus teaching you right now? And I rattle off whatever that might be. And then he says, so Klein, what's Jesus asking you to do right now? And I tell him, and he says, are you doing it? And I go, well, uh, sort of. And then he says, and how are you experiencing the love of Jesus, and how are you expressing it to others in the world? Now, these three questions to me are brilliant. What if in 2019, every time we ran into somebody from Elmer CRC, we asked each other these three questions? What if when I walked up to you or had coffee with you, my first question was, hey, what's Jesus teaching you right now? What's he asking you to do? Are you doing it? You want discipleship to happen in this church? That would be great discipleship. If every conversation was seasoned with those questions, we started to ask ourselves the question, hey, do we want Jesus on the throne? Or are we more like Herod and we want to keep ourselves on the throne? So three seekers in the story... The wise men or the magi who are in the darkness groping around trying to find this king. The Israelites who know all the answers but aren't really sure they have a hunger for the king. And then Herod, who really doesn't want to find the king so he can worship him, wants to find the king so he can stab him through the chest and keep being king himself. Which one are you? As you sit here this morning... On the verge of 2019, which one are you? If you're groping around in the dark, it's okay. It's awesome. I hope you keep groping, looking for that God. Because if you seek him with your whole heart, you're going to find him. We'd love to help you find him. We know the way. We'd be willing to talk with you, hang out with you, have coffee, whatever. We'd be willing to go on the journey with you, on the search with you, groping around, looking for the light. If you're sitting here going, I don't know, I'm... I just kind of know all the answers, but I'm not sure. Well, you know, come on. Let's go. Find the king. And then if you're not sure, like, you know, if Jesus, you want Jesus in control, maybe it's time to surrender. Say, Lord, take me. 
do with me what you want, Lord. I want to be yours fully and wholly and totally. Not just part-time, but all the way. You know who gives the best advice in the story? It's kind of crazy. This next verse. Herod sends the wise men to Bethlehem and says to them, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him also. I love that. Go make a careful search for the child. 2019, I would suggest this. We all need to go make a careful search for our God, for our Jesus, and find him. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, Klein, that sounds really good, but I'm not really that motivated for that. I understand. So I read my, uh, uh, my friend Jack Deere. He's not really my friend. He's an author I read. He's actually considered a heretic by a lot of people, but he's a good Pentecostal writer. And he actually, in spite of his heretic nature at times, he has some truth mixed in. And in one book he wrote uh, called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, in the end of the book, he writes about a passion for Jesus. And he says this, if you struggle to have a passion for Jesus and pursuing him, then pray this prayer every morning for 30 days. Here it is. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to love your son Jesus like you do. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to pursue your son Jesus like you do. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to become one with your son Jesus like you are. If you're struggling to want to go after God, then maybe that needs to be your prayer for the next 30 days. Just get out of bed and ask the Father to give you a passion for his son like he has. And then when you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. You will find him. And there's nothing like finding him. It's amazing. It's the best. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we sit on the beginning of another new year in a couple days. There's a lot of things we could pursue with our lives and with our hearts. Father God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to love and pursue and connect with your Jesus like you do. In your name we pray.